0: Now, are we recording? We are recording. We're definitely recording this time.
1: Excellent. The red light is on. It is. No flashing.
0: Thank God. of the and in the of Welcome dear listeners to Folklore Fragments, the podcast from the National Folklore Collection here in University College Dublin with myself, Johnny Dillon.
1: And myself, Claire Dillon.
0: Hello, hello. Now before we carry on the formal proceedings, we should wish our dear listeners a happy new year.
1: Absolutely. We hope you had a wonderful Christmas.
0: And the best for a uh, two thousand nineteen ahead, one hopes. Um I do think that we shall achieve great things this year.
1: I am starting These the year on a mellow note and I am hoping for the best.
0: One has to. I should also admit to the <laughs> listeners that we just spent twenty minutes having fine chats on this topic. Only to realise that I hadn't <laughs> pressed the record button. But, Easily uh, done,
1: Johnny, don't worry. Yes, I'm sure kind. you're not the first, so don't worry.
0: Well, Anyway, now like it's it's definitely definitely a recording, but now they'll never know of what fantastic pearls of wisdom we were coming out with there.
1: But we'll let's consider the dry run. We will. So we the will. best is get to come, folks. It is.
0: So for today's edition, we planned to basically t- to focus on a creature, uh, an animal that's been at the centre of traditional life in Ireland, in Europe, and even in Indo-European tradition for thousands upon thousands of years. Um in the primordial world of tradition it was symbolically understood to represent abundance, fertility and wisdom, and also provided uh, kind of an, an, an essential economic component for our forebears and really was the was the linchpin of social life in, in many instances for, for thousands of years here in Ireland. So we'll be looking at uh, the cow in, in folk tradition, from divine goddesses um from who are linked to the creation of world and of mankind at large, and from magical cattle who accompanied saints and provided milk without end. And then we'll look at some material from oral literature and from the fairies who attempted to, to steal cattle away to the other world. So one of the hopes that you'll stay with us for the next couple of days as we rant away on this said topic, all things bovine.
1: At least until lunchtime tomorrow.
0: This is our hope. This is our plan. If we don't experience more technological failings and disasters from this we, morning.
1: One of the things we actually did mention earlier, um, and I hope... Lies. That Bullocks. That Bullocks.
0: Bullocks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: Had to get that one in. I did, yeah one of the things we were speaking about was perhaps this reluctance um to engage with a subject like this where people might think oh god why have they chosen the cow and folk tradition why did we
0: choose the cow i can't
1: i don't think there was a set reason we just wanted something a little more unusual hmm. and we often speak about folk tradition in terms of we look at so much and take so much for granted hmm. and I think that was one of the reasons that kind of spurred us on to choose the cow that it's something we take so much for granted perhaps as we live more centrally now Mm. many of us in cities and we don't really engage with the pastoral or agricultural the seasonal the natural exactly and so we we often look but we don't really see anymore oh very good I like that Oh, so that's, honestly yeah, that's I like my that. new my new line for yeah. twenty eighteen. Oh, it's true, it is true. But so much of it in life, we just don't engage. We take photos and we don't really see yes, and yes, look at things. Yes, we do. I know it makes me sick. Yeah. And but the cow, I think, is a great example of the wealth of folklore that is attached to certain subjects that perhaps we have just forgotten or don't take the time to engage with.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: you're, you're, yes, indeed, Yeah, That's why. That's, that's why. That's why we chose the, cow, the yes. cow. No, it's a. It's it is a particularly interesting with an enormous, enormous amount of lore in the sense of more recent kind of folk tradition attached to cattle and, and to the cow uh, from the perspectives of kind of pre-Christian and Christian tradition of these kind of customs and so on attached to protecting these animals and their supernatural associations and so on. But there's also then the, the kind of economic and legal basis for, for the understanding of cattle and their cent- central importance, especially in early Ireland, which we'll look at. But the thing that I found really um particularly interesting and very strange and didn't get enough time as suppose to conduct really extensive research but you, I, you just get the feeling that there are so many kind of strange tangled rabbit holes to go down with this topic is the cow and mythology and the common symbolisms and kind of uh, the 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 representations of the cow goddess stretching as a kind of cult from from India and from Indo-European tradition all the way to Ireland and in some very startling kind of overlapping similar motifs and so on that seem to represent the cow as the kind of giver of life and the creator of the world basically and of being linked as an essential kind of component to, to human well-being and even creation and poetry and so on and so forth and we find that I mean that's still expressed in that's find its way into Christian tradition today you look at St. Bridget and her associations with cattle and so mm. on but we'll look at all that in uh, in due course but So
1: see don't underestimate the cow folks No
0: do not underestimate the cow not for, not for a moment but um, But yeah, it is true that, I suppose, it's something that we don't really pay attention to a huge amount, even our kind of consumption of of cattle and so on and so forth. Like, there's a lot of, in tradition, there's the reference to the consumption of cattle in the context of ritual slaughter, as opposed to, again, even in the way that we eat food nowadays, we don't think about these things at all. We just kind of consume, you know, take Mm -hmm. selfies or put pictures of our dinner online or whatever. Um, But to start maybe with, I suppose, the antithesis of modernity, which is a good place to go, and to look at... Early Irish society, um, I guess in the earliest earliest literature, which in in Ireland exists as the the law tracts really, um, you have the oldest codified legal system in Europe, and also one that's a direct survival, or it's it's kind of based on the Proto Indo European legal system, and that might sound kind of vague and roughly, but there are bizarre overlaps that you can look at in, from, from, from from tradition that exist in these two planes.
1: And should we say, although they were written in the 6th and 7th century, those that exist, the ones that we mention, are in later manuscripts of the 12th to 16th century, just to kind of give people... I'm always... I, I like a linchpin... That I, can say, right, this I was
0: always quite confused by that sort of stuff, yeah, where, where you're looking at a manuscript in the 12th century mm-hmm. but the language that the, the scribe has used is clearly it's early Irish from the 8th century and so on so you can you can kind of plot it but that the original copies are, are gone and then the, some scribe has diligently re- re- written out. Or not, not more diligently, again? Or, actually, is, yes, or not even diligently. more interesting. And they filled it with, with mistranslations and errors yeah. or their own kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah the sources that we have are, are thought to kind of go back to this to this the earliest period of christian influence where these laws were written down basically but until then they had they were memorized there was a taboo against writing down prior to the arrival of, kind of a christian tradition so you have ogham inscriptions and kind of runic inscriptions and so on uh, in ireland but they're generally kind of prayers to an individual in an area whatever but when you have the, the arrival of christianity and the arrival of the written word you have these law tracks that are that are written down basically, and in early Irish law, uh, you have an inegalitarian legal system, uh, where everything is kind of um, based on hierarchy and honour. Mm. You know, this is this is kind of the, the, the way to go about it. I knew you'd like this one. It's 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 where everyone has there there's um, there was a rank, for example, of um, bow arrow cow lord was one rank of of kind of free man of nobleman, and an individual who was a cow lord had a certain amount of cattle, mm. or anyone who had an honour price was. Uh, their their honor, price essentially was manifest um, in accordance to their worth in cattle. So cattle had this kind of, uh, I suppose they were the fundamental economic unit.
1: Because they were currency, barter, and tribute. Those yes, were the exactly. Three terms, yeah. I suppose. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and so this is I suppose the the earliest kind of phase really in Ireland suggests that that the cow was used as currency and that an individual's honor price was was ref, was made with reference to to a cow. For example, a king might be worth um if you were to cause injury to a king there might have a, a certain uh, tribute or honor price to be paid against them. you had to pay your way out of it basically. You could pay your way out of everything in early Irish law, murder and so on. It was all just kind of civil as opposed to criminal. Although there are fantastic kind of quotes of um things to your know, ways to punish your enemies like casting adrift or putting them in, in the pit there is a, anyone interested should read fergus kelly's early irish law which is a fantastic fantastic book i think some of those could be brought back i i, I absolutely agree yes Ca- casting adrift and placing in the pit yeah but sometimes uh, the of
1: modern law and justice are not
0: um,
1: oh, well, linked well, no, so no closely so uh, no. actually the Indeed. pit is very
0: the pit is it has its <laughs> way to go its own particular <laughs> appeal yes um but uh but yeah, I suppose, the idea I suppose essentially that, that cattle are this kind of central central kind of linchpin. A king maybe who's injured is um, can get X amount of 20, 30 or 100 cattle as a tribute. However, if that king is to go off hunting uh, on his own without his retinue, as is improper, as befitting his role, and he's injured, he only gets the honor price of a slave or of a, of a commoner because he shouldn't be engaging in that. He's, he's It's not as though he's the top, he can do whatever he wants. He's, he's locked in his... Um, his role, role his in in the hierarchy, and he has it so it's correct for a king to go hunting with a giant retinue, and if you do that, and then you can get the honor price that's that is accorded that particular action. But if you go against that action and do something that doesn't as not befitting your rank, or whatever, then if something falls foul, then then you only get the 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 the, the retribution, the honor price in cattle of of commoner, or whatever. Oh, I see. So it's it's a strange but very interesting legal system that seems to be a remnant of the proto Indo European. Uh, one, But cattle are, are, the, are the central um, linchpin of, on, upon which the whole thing really seems based as a unit of currency. They're, they're it.
1: But one of the things, just when you reminded me there of um, kind of legal principles, in one of the law texts we see that it's written that mating is an immunity for bulls and rams, which basically means that if someone is injured or killed during the mating season, then it's obviously their fault to be um near bulls or rams during that period and so the owner may be free from liability Mm. Um, and again these law tracks in terms of just showing the prominence of cattle and and their role in society Mm. that they they thought it relevant to note down these legal principles Mm -hmm. and laws and rules Mm. so the law tracks as you said are a fundamental source of information on early Irish society how it's managed how it's regulated and the role of Cattle and farming.
0: As a as an aside, we we'll get on to the, it's it's just to show the Indo-European nature of these things and how, yes. how they're linked. Right, this doesn't specifically relate to cattle, but I just heard it, it's 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 so kind of um, so particularly interesting. One of, one of the the customs in early Irish law, again with cattle as the currency, was to was to uh, the creditors fast, so called, where you would fast symbolically and ritually against someone who owed you something so so if you if if you owed me x amount of cattle or, or whatever, if there was some kind of civil um, matter in which I was to be given a tribute of some sort and you weren't forthcoming with that, I would go to literally outside of your abode and sit there fasting symbolically and while I was fasting if you would you couldn't take any food, you couldn't eat like that, or else you'd be have to pay twice the amount
1: and would I be physically is it a, a physical Nauseousness that I I would experience. No, you just you just weren't allowed. It, it was like against oh, the law I for see. you to okay. eat while
0: someone was engaged in this kind of process against you. Oh. So this is a section in the in the uh, the Irish law. It says the judgment according to Irish law is that he who takes food without fulfilling a demand supported by fasting shall pay double the amount of that on account of which he is subjected to fasting. He who continues to fast after satisfaction of his demand has been offered to him forfeits his right to bring the suit according to Irish law. In Irish law, the proper way to end the fast is either to bind the debt upon a good surety who does not abscond or to give a pledge from the articles of the household equal in value to the amount for which he is subjected to fasting. So this is Thurneisen who's describing ritual fasting um, and the idea that basically this is the traditional practice of the creditor against the, the, the debtor, basically. And then you have, again, this is Miles Dillon in his text, uh, and on society, kinship, and customary law. And he describes here... He says there can be little doubt that we have, uh, east and west, the survival of an ancient Indo-European rite, And alongside of the practice in Ireland, there's a reference here employed throughout India. And he says, There is a curious procedure for collecting a debt by the traditional means, which is explained by fasting, or abojana, or awaiting death by abstaining from food. Akin to this practice of dharna, formerly employed throughout India and still employed in Nepal, by which the creditor, especially if he was a Brahmin or a noble, fasted in front of the debtor's house until he yielded the debtor was obliged to fast also and to abstain from work. If the Brahmin died, the debtor incurred the guilt of killing a Brahmin, which is of killing the highest noble. So you have the same... The, same, the threads of a... Yeah, yeah, the, the same theory. kind of um, legal system, basically, that has found its way from India across to, to Ireland. And the early law tracks reference these kind of... these um, these these Practices. These and,
1: practices. Actually. and actually, following on from that, it's worth saying, for anyone who really wants to delve deeper into this, once we've converted you all to catalore. as Johnny was saying the old Irish law tracks are hugely relevant as a source and as you were saying, now none of us are going to go, well, some may go into the Royal Irish Academy but if you are not a specialist in old Irish, well, yes, you <coughs> may have difficulty but there's a huge amount written about them and translations in the likes of um, Miles Dillon and D.A. Binchy is mm. wonderful on the early Irish laws so it's worth investigating those if you wanted to see the more curious elements but also it's worth saying In terms of the official tomes that you can look at to see the role of cattle in early Irish society, you've got the law tracts and glosses, you've also got the annals. Many of us are familiar with these through historical studies. So you've got the annals of Ulster, the annals of Inish Fallon, of Connacht, of Clon Macnoys and um, many, many others. And as well as speaking about historical events, which is what we use them most for, they also speak of harvests, farming practices and also cattle plagues Mm. and this is what one of the things that I discovered in my research for this how tragically plentiful plagues were in the past and you see scourges happening in England and across Europe and across the centuries which would obviously have decimated herds and had a huge impact on social life and the well-being of communities and so it would make sense that they would kind of um, reference them in the annals and again just showing the role of the cow as the sacred, Entity of wealth and well-being, and then you also you've got the lives of the saints, and we'll kind of come and touch on this, mm-hmm. one not we? More that we've got the early confess or the Confessions of Saint Patrick or the Confessio, which anyone who studied Irish or, or history we were always made to read that in translation, not original Latin, Johnny. Mm. You'll be happy to Uh-oh. know. I never mastered that <laughs> Give one. Me <laughs> Give me the Latin. Give yeah. me the Latin, day. Uh, and you've got the 16th century Behallem Kill. So again, surprising sources, perhaps mm. you'd think, but it would make sense given the role of cattle that they would be.
0: All contain information relevant to
1: even indirectly. But it's worth just for the sake of completeness to know that these sources exist for scholars who might like to go um, and learn a bit more. And with the um, the lives of the saints it's more in mm. relation to you see cattle referenced in relation to miracles mm-hmm. interestingly yeah. enough and as we'll come to the oral tradition and where it's filtered down from the literary into the oral you'll see the cow associated more and more with saints particularly Bridget mm. and Patrick
0: mm. and what about the other the thing that you um you mentioned the the triads the
1: oh the triangle yes this wonderful source These called are amazing. the yeah. wisdom texts which I had not been familiar with to be honest now and they date from the 7th, or roughly the 7th to 9th centuries. And they're basically observations of nature, human behaviour, kinship, weather, and many other topics. But they're known for their triads. And these have filtered down into the oral tradition. But these triads are these, um, would you call them sayings?
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, Sayings oh. based in everything on threes, threes and fours. What's exactly. threes? Trees, basically. Yeah.
1: Um, one for example from one of these um wisdom texts is the three great renovators of the world were said to be the womb of a woman, the udder of a cow, and the moulding block of the blacksmith. Or the three slender things that best support the world are said to be the slender stream of milk from the cow's teat into the pail, the slender blade of green corn from above the ground and the slender thread over the hand of a skilled woman. Amazing. And to actually give you an a beautiful Irish translation from your book, Johnny, and war, it is Tri Achen and Don, which is basically again the three renovators of the world. Broom Re, Evba, I guess, Injongaun, which hmm. is the exact translation of that. Um it's the, beautiful womb of a woman, the udder of cow, and the moulding block of a blacksmith. Isn't it pure it's poetry fantastic. in motion? Yeah.
0: Speaking of, have you ever heard the one, the three things Aristotle couldn't understand? Tell me. The comings and goings of the tide, the workings of bees, and the mind of a woman.
1: I'd say Aristotle is probably not alone in those, genres. I think
0: it's a more generalised thing. Or the three types of women that a man can't understand. Oh, tell me. A young woman, a middle-aged woman, and an old woman. <laughs> These are from, from the triads. They're um, They're amazing. Some of them are absolutely... They're fantastically beautiful in these kind of very brief, tiny little accounts of, like little haikus almost, you mm. know, kind of descriptions of the natural world and so on. But um might be worth looking at some of the, the kind of early agricultural or archaeological evidence as well in Ireland mm. for cattle. Um, in, in Europe, there was this, there were kind of wild oxen, well... It was believed that cattle were domesticated first around 9,000 or 8,500 years ago in the area called the Fertile Crescent, which is the area around the Nile Delta, and then kind of adjacent to that, the Anatolian Peninsula, which is now uh, Turkey, and then across the Mediterranean Sea in the Nile Delta, that little area basically, that cattle were were domesticated, and they were thought to be the last the kind of farming creatures that were domesticated after kind of sheep and goat and pigs and so on and you can imagine the ferocity of, of a wild bull and mm-hmm. so on that that they're not exactly kind of easily domesticated basically but it was believed that uh, cattle in in europe were derived from these creatures the aurochs which were you should see in cave paintings as these kind of huge um, uh, bulls and cows basically that are kind of painted in in, in caves and so on or displayed all, all over europe that were sometimes weighed a ton and a half they were these kind of enormous enormous creatures um, but it was genetics and, and kind of genetic research shows that actually they're not derived, that European cattle aren't derived from these creatures and that they never uh, were tamed. So I was kind of slightly, yeah, I felt sad for the poor noble auric that the last one was killed in 1627 in Poland. So it was kind of, it had never quite surrendered and, and tamed, but it just, it, it was, well, we just did it in basically.
1: That's quite recent it is yeah is it? yeah. you think about the it the scheme of things. 1627 it apparently oh. the last
0: one was, um, was was shot in Poland yeah yeah a shot stubborn a climbing male. a fence what? a stubborn male no doubt no <laughs> doubt yeah but um, but in, in Ireland I think the belief was that cattle came to Ireland about three and a half thousand years ago and so that there was already a process of selective breeding for about 5,000 years going on at that stage they probably came in from Britain to us But the evidence also suggests that there was no wild oxen in Ireland roaming around, although certain early Irish poems attest to the wild oxen of the Burren and so on. Mm. It seems largely in in any kind of scant archaeological information that we have about them points to their being used uh, in an agricultural context. So we have um, burial mounds in which sometimes the bones of cattle are placed alongside the bones of the dead, or also there's one burial mound in in Sligo which just consists of of, um, cattle bones. So there's an idea maybe of a funereal kind of feast or ritual, um, slaughter of cattle again, which fits in with certain kind of uh, Indo-European traditions as well, mm-hmm. or kind of older older practices and primordial practices in that sense. Um, I mean, actually, strangely, even the, uh, kind of early wooden yokes have been unearthed in archaeological digs to, uh, for, that were kind of used to yoke cattle. But even that word "yoke" is linked again to the Sanskrit uh, "yoga," so people practicing yoga often nowadays. But it means to kind of to bring roughly to, kind of to bring under control or to bring under discipline in oh. the sense the passions basically in that context but also it's the same thing to, to tame a creature to bring it under your control right. to yoke it and then to, there's that kind of link I hope I get,
1: that comes up in a pub quiz
0: you, yeah exactly yeah like, yeah you can or ruin a conversation did you know that <laughs> um, but there are a few native breeds as well that are mentioned there were four native native breeds mm. but one of the things I wanted to read out with this these amazing quotes uh, in the 1830s from William Wilde, the father of of, um, of Oscar Wilde, where he's describing what he calls the old Irish cow, quote-unquote. This is, this is um, one of the native breeds, and he describes it of small stature, long in the back and with moderate-sized, wide-spreading, slightly elevated and projecting horns of all colours, but principally black and red. They were famous milkers, extraordinarily gentle, requiring little care, and were in truth the poor man's cow but they did not easily fatten and when beyond a certain age seldom put up flesh they abounded in all parts of the plain country there's a couple of things that he mentions there that are kind of of I suppose that they, they stand out really in the sense that a lot of these cattle were renowned for their hardiness mm. and the sense that you could kind of um treat them with indifference in many ways and in rough ground and that they would be still great milkers and that's the other thing as well to reference is that, that cattle weren't kept for or used primarily for their meat that wasn't really the they weren't again by subsistence farmers, whatever it was the milk cow was being kept and for the production of butter and cream and, and milk and so on, as opposed to being slaughtered for, for flesh, basically.
1: And we should say in that vein as well, because a lot of people when they think about the produce of a cow will say directly, you know, the meat, you've got the milk, you've got the curds you've got and from the butter and the cream that you can Mm. make from that but actually it's worth saying that not to forget about the excrement and the urine always worth remembering worth remembering because in folk tradition they appear quite often (coughs) as we'll touch on but again there's more to the cow and in terms of products than meets the eye than meets the eye also that which meets the nose indeed unfortunately so yeah but urine and excrement um, do it was, appear. It was
0: it used as, as fertiliser or some sort of it, Well it
1: would have been, the dung would have been used as fertiliser traditionally but then we see it used in divination. Yeah rubbed um, on the udders and so on. Did yeah you, and all that? this and yeah. then the cow cakes with the candles. Nice. We'll all come to that but again it's not just um that which you can make from the milk mm. but also all products of the cow.
0: All products a holistic approach. Indeed. Yes yes well there's another um another one of the other there are the breeds which are now the only apparently surviving breed which I thought was the, was the Kerry but but you can talk about there's another one that you had mentioned which I wasn't aware of that mm. had survived to this day but there's also an ancient straight horned breed um, and William Wilde here goes off in this fantastic um, flurry poetical uh, uh, exuberance here where he describes the skull of a straight horned um, breed of of cattle. Um, and he describes it thus he says it is a cranium of surpassing beauty and resembles in the most remarkable manner the ox heads carved upon the friezes of grecian temples somewhat conical in the face with st- with short straight horns very broad at the base and not more than eight or ten inches long having force dignity and mildness expressed even in the dead bone now, he goes into the into the uh, into the upper atmosphere here. Were we to wreathe his head with a garden of flowers, we would have before us a perfect example of those taurine embellishments sculptured upon the metopes of the Parthenon during the best days of Athenian architecture. This animal would appear to have been used in sacrifice by the early Greeks and also by the Hebrews and other sacrificing nations. Incredible.
1: Well, he is the father of Oscar Wilde. He is. You
0: can see where, where the young Oscar got his, uh, his, his his wit from. But it's, um, it's a fantastic description of... Uh, well, linking this kind of straight horn cow to the metopes of the Parthenon.
1: Okay. But again, as we were saying earlier, at least he's looking at it and seeing it, whereas again.
0: Totally, and also seeing old, you know, Greek culture and old European. Exactly, he's, he's like linked, his he's linking, it's an inspiring. He's so just, you know, widely
1: read, you know, whereas yes. we probably just take. A selfie of me with the skulls.
0: Yeah, where's the cow? What? Ca- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a cow there? Yeah. You
1: know, so at least he's engaging with his natural. No, world. I think it's
0: fantastic. I, I think it's. I just, I read that and I thought it was just incredible. But um yes, it is. It is amazing to to to, to, to connect it into these uh, into Athenian architecture wherever one can. Absolutely,
1: to connect those threads in life, just to kind of to be so experienced. Yes, is yes,
0: wonderful. indeed, but um. The, the Kerry is the other breed and in comparison to the placid nature of the old Irish cow, the Kerry he describes as being full of fire and animation, which is my sort of cow. <laughs> and um, But this is the one that I was mentioning to you earlier where, again, and this is the kind of the, the pitiful uh, experience, I suppose, of, of the modern world and, and the, the, uh, the, the kind of movement towards the reign of quantity so-called where the shifting of units is of utmost importance that the mm-hmm. Kerry I think has fallen into decline or is in danger of extinction nowadays on account of the fact that it's it's modern counterparts or it's european kind of counterparts they can come up with a higher um, amounts or yield milk yields than than the the carry basically so again you have you know the process where there's i guess there's a homogenization of even of cattle breeds or types or the 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 displacing or erosion of, of particular native breeds or traditional types in certain specific areas in ireland and england elsewhere i'm sure it's the same case and you have them being replaced with these kind of I don't know, just the, the general homogenization yeah. of, or, or a sense of um, uh, yeah, degradation of sorts, I guess. And even in the sense that you have the less farms, but much larger farms, and now kind of these you know, factories in, in the fields, mm-hmm. essentially, basically. So it's a very, very kind of different approach nowadays. I was spinning off into a kind of object misery earlier in this topic, but then you mentioned that no, all is not lost. There's always a dystopian lost. line with you, Johnny. Uh-huh, well, all is that.
1: not lost because over the Christmas, um, I as I was... Kind of conducting my research for this, I accosted every farmer in Donegal, Excellent. as we said, which is a normal weekend in Donegal. Yes. But and as well as that, I was watching some ear to the ground and some country file on BBC One.
0: Top programming.
1: Absolutely, forget your Christmas movies. No. I was always like, nope switch over. And I discovered in Donegal there was a farmer who is rearing a breed, or I don't know if it's a breed; it's a type again. No, I think it is one, is of, it one a of the breed? old breeds. Yeah, called as far as I'm aware. Well, I'm. I'm, I'm I should no, have no stepped in there. No,
0: <laughs> it's like just. Revealed. I should have said nothing. Said revealing my abject ignorance. Carry on. Excuse me. And
1: it's called the the moyle cow or the um, ball wheel, which is a hornless type of cow, and hmm. um, that would have been recognised by William White in the 1830s as a uh, a native breed, hmm. and it's been, to my understanding, brought back, so that there are now roughly 700 in Ireland. Now, again, I'm no agricultural scientist as to how. Extinct breeds can be brought back, whether the genomes and all the rest. You know of the
0: quote from the front page of the Irish Times tomorrow that like, Claire yeah. out- <laughs> outlandish claims as to uh, resuscitation of, of ancient breeds. Yeah. It's true.
1: The National Folklore Collection just brought yeah. down a step. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but apparently he's brought back the, the mile cow, which is a very distinctive looking cow. If you Google it, it's um, really quite beautiful. The more you look at cows, they're just glorious animals. But it's red with a very distinctive white stripe mm. from its head to its hindquarter. And again, as we'll come to see with in terms of fairy mythology, any ter- type of cow that was unusual in any way in terms of appearance would have been attractive to the fairies. So you can immediately see why something like the Moyle cow would be unusual given its colouring and kind of the impact that that would have on the concerns of farmers. Mm. But yeah, so apparently it is possible to, to save these native breeds um, if there is a passion and a drive for it. But again, as we always hear on the news, Irish farming and the realities of that is it's becoming increasingly difficult when you see the regulation of Europe and um, the impact of climate change controls as well. Mm. So it, it is a mixed bag for the life of a farmer. But there is potential and there's hope there, Johnny. In January 2018, <coughs> we are starting as we mean to go on.
0: We are. No, look, I am an optimist. I'm a hopeful <laughs> chap. And, and um, it is January. It is. But no, yes, it is. There is much to be hopeful for, I feel. I do feel that. <laughs> I do.
1: And so in terms of, shall we say a quick word about proverbs, which people might not immediately reckon with when they think about source of information, but actually proverbs contain a certain amount of the, the norms, beliefs, mm. hopes and fears of society.
0: Bluankis, the, the, the uh, late Swedish folklorist who was the director of the collection here in the 70s, he said that the way to discover um the kind of the the spirit or mind of a people was to read their proverbs oh that's lovely yeah it was a good point Very to see true. what the, what the values are do you yeah, yeah. it's true
1: well i give you um i've only kind of chosen out three just for the sake of um. F- for brevity mm. so one for example our friends actually in luce shared this this week they must have sensed our need and it's called or it's it's spoken as and at the wall, the wall Yeah, that's a good one Have you heard this? Yeah. Which basically um, that was from Donegal and it's translated there's an English version from Meath which they give as marry at home but sell your cow far away mm. So it's don't mix business and pleasure mm-hmm. I suppose in a sense <laughs> which um, is very
2: yes, sensible yes, yes, indeed So
1: there is wisdom in many of the Proverbs Then you've got one which we read in the secondary reading called The cow is one of the pleasant trees of paradise
2: mm.
0: Beautiful
1: and then we have one from Aulio Sullivan in the early eighteen hundreds, where he says, "Na cannae ball wheel, na wheel, agus na wheel," which is, "Don't buy, don't buy a moil cow, don't sell a moil cow, and don't ever be without a moil cow." Mm. So those are just three samples um, of where the cow features, features surprisingly in proverbs. Had you asked me in December, would a cow feature yes, quite yeah, prominently yeah. in Irish proverbs? Mm. I might say oh, my gut instinct would probably perhaps be no but actually it does appear <laughs> um, surprisingly does. often and so do, should we say a little bit about the place names next?
0: Yeah, the, some, of the, some of the of the place names that seem to appear are ones that i had seen at least often related to the idea of the white cow mm. uh, both in the so Inish both in the two islands called Inish Boffin we do. Um, Drum both in the there's there's kind of uh, Lake Boffin as well. There's kind of this this reference to the white cow, which again has a certain kind of supernatural association as well uh, in tradition. Um, but there's also then the idea of the, the Gloss the Gloss Gavlin, the the the, the kind true. of the cow that gives endless milk until somebody basically tries to trick it or take advantage of the fact that that it gives endless milk and it it, it, uh, it dies basically. But there's an, there's that that prefix of kind of gloss often appears as well in some instances that, that seems to be kind of relating to. To this oh, that potato, cow, oh, yeah, as opposed to also what gloss means green, but it also means grey or colourless, which is true. You know. yeah, so, right. um, I
1: think if you're looking, again, we have a website with the wonderful, our, our wonderful team and friends at Finther and again, DCU, called loganyam.ie, mm. which is a database of place names. And so it's loganyam.ie. And if you were to go in there and pop in cow, for example, or even bow, which I think is the direct anglicisation. So when you see the word um, bow, it's from the Irish baw for, mm-hmm. for cow. So you have places like Drumbow in Down mm. or Dunbow in Derry, which is the fort of the cow. You've got Ardbo, you've got Animo, and it's basically the very crude anglicisation of traditional Irish place names. But whenever you see those um, references, that's basically um, cow, so mm. to speak. Um, or Clontarf in, du- in Dublin oh of course Clontarf the meadow of the bull yeah, yeah. Um, and as you were saying Inish Bifinia. you've got the Lake of the Twelve Cows in Glengariff and then as you were saying you've got the this association with the Glasgow in you can actually see it in Donegal all the way down to Kerry mm. where it was it was stolen by Balor wasn't it on Tory mm-hmm, Island yeah. so you've got this um I suppose, tradition of the story of the, the great yield from this cow, mm. all the way and these place names that you can see associated with it and the cow's stone in Kerry in Kilmakeder, where the Glaskivna would have, I suppose, poured its milk into these stones that mm. are now said that the holes represent where the, the milk pooled or where there's a stone called the thief's stone in Kerry where someone who tried to steal the Glaskivna fell and the imprint of his hands and knees are said to exist in the stone so again it's place names that we see on signs and mm. we're trying to get somewhere so quickly that we don't bother to think about the history and the lore yeah absolutely. But there's so much there and that can
0: be sometimes in the process of kind of of the anglicization of place names directly via the kind of phonetic um, mm. expression of them as opposed to their meaning renders a lot of these places just as kind of gobbledygook really
1: Brian Friel translations if you have not read it read it.
0: Hmm. Um. I suppose it's it's interesting and in a way to maybe to go from place names into the strange world of the early kind of antiquity and mythology the the, the one that stood out for me and that just it just kind of kept going and going and going it, just, it was bizarre some of the parallels and motifs I found it so at least it'd be great to, to conduct more research on this particular topic was the idea of an ancient Goddess or deity being represented as a cow who has some sort of connection to kind of bringing um, wisdom or a certain sort of insight into into the world, and w- particularly when she's when she's viewed in connection then with a kind of father god figure or a sun god, and there's this pairing, this union of these two that creates the world or creates plenty in a general sense. Um, to look, say, in in the Irish context, the the Boyne River mm. is named after Boyne who's the goddess of, of in Ireland, who is this attached to kind of this, this divine cow, basically. And so the er, in the earliest phase, in, in, in the kind of early uh, Irish, there's the reference of Bovinda mm. as meaning kind of divine cow. But you have, again, in the Indo-European, you have the same figure of, of who, whose reference is uh, Govinda. And you even have that as a first name now. Like there's a restaurant, a vegetarian kind of uh, restaurant in Dublin called Govinda's. But the early a vegetarian. vegetarian restaurant, yeah, because of course in in Hindu tradition, then the cow was ever sacred. since the Mahabharata and so on, or before that in the Vedic texts, the cow was sacred. Of in, in 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 earlier traditions, the cow could be eaten; the flesh of the cow could be eaten, but only in a ritual context, if it was being sacrificed, say. Mm-hmm. But then I suppose vegetarianism became installed as a kind of as a spiritual or ascetic practice, perhaps in in traditions of Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism, mm-hmm. and so the cow is kind of revered, or cattle are often seen. Um, Listening to Krishna's music and stuff like this, so there's kind of divine associations. Um, but in in the early tradition in Ireland, Bowen is this kind of goddess, this deity, and she's attached with the river of Bowen And uh, as I was saying, Vivinda or divine cow is her kind of is her her, her epithet, her name. And in Europe, there was a there was Damona. It was the same kind, the same cow was cow goddess was kind of was worshipped. And so you have this figure who she she's. There are several references to, to, basically, the udders of the cattle streaming forth these rivers of milk that are kind of coming into the world, basically. Okay. And there was the idea that, uh, in Irish tradition, Bowen was the wife of Núada, who was the first king of the Tuatha Dé Danann. And he had the, the silver arm, he, he his arm was chopped off, and anyone who had a blemish couldn't be a king in early Irish tradition. So they made him, Dienkecht, made him a... a silver functioning arm but part of his name means even to one who goes fishing and kind of this this fishing figure he has, has all this kind of aquatic imagery attached to him and there was a, a salmon who was attached to the the cult of new other who was the wife or was the husband of bowen who was this kind of becomes the salmon of of wisdom the salmon of knowledge in later traditions that film mccool the the
1: oh subsequently eats and that
0: film is from that same um like bovinda vindus vin or finnid Meaning bright or lustrous, but also wisdom and illumination kind of thing, and so it seems as though the cult attached to Nuada and the wisdom of the salmon became later on kind of usurped or superimposed by this younger figure Fionn. You know the story of Fionn where he catches the salmon of knowledge, or it's caught by an old figure. Yes. That figure is Nuada. The the full name is, is 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 references this old deity, and so Fionn though is the one who accidentally he 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 pushes a blister on on the cooking salmon when he's told not to eat it. Mm-hmm. And having burst this blister, he puts his tongue to his mouth to, to cure it, because he's been burnt, and he suddenly gets all this kind of cosmic wisdom, basically. But the idea was that there's a kind of union between the the cattle, and the cow, kind of goddess, who's in a sense represented with the waters of, of the Boyne, and, and kind of giving these waters. She was the one, apparently, as well, Boyne, who went to the source of the river, having been told by New that if you, if you look at this well, it'll kill you if you look on the waters. But she looked at them, it, it took one of her eyes out and she was injured and she ran away and the water kept rising after her and that's what created the, the boyne And it's still revered as a holy site. People still make pilgrimages to it and to, to the, the origin to the source of the boin, basically. So you have a figure, I suppose, who's kind of connected to um the, the 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 idea of the kind of the waters and wisdom and this kind of sense of, of, of abundance and kind of giving mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But you have similar traditions then in um in, in Egypt, right? or in, And in the Indo European tradition you have the same kind of de- these same kind of descriptions. But but in, in Egypt you had the cow goddess Hathor, who predates historical period entirely. So there's no way to kind of trace the origins of her um, of her, her beginnings basically. And she's often described as she's shown as, as a woman with these huge kind of cow's horns and resting between the horns is the disc of the sun. Mm-hmm. And that she's in union again with the sun god. There's a sense of kind of a union or whatever. Um, but she was the she was the the she assisted women in childbirth, was goddess of music and dance, a patron of minors, and then she was understood as the wife and mother at the same time of of Ra, the sun god there were these kind of they changed roles all the time. so every morning um, Hathor would give birth to Ra, and then every evening she'd conceive as his wife him in a sense, and then the sun is born every the sun rises every day, but it's through. This kind of cow goddess figure that it keeps this kind of cycle in motion, basically
1: childbirth every morning, and then conception every night.
0: Wow, well, look at exhausted. <laughs> yes, but well, this is the this is the preserve of the uh, of the old ones, Um but in in so you have I suppose this idea of kind of sacred rivers of milk uh, that are kind of flowing from this cow, and um, in the in the in the Nordic tradition as well in in the Norse mythology, um, you have the idea that there was this a primeval cow there and again, you have these streams of milk running from herders in, into the world, and she licked these ice blocks for for the kind of salty blocks, and revealed the first uh, the first man, uh, Buri was was kind of revealed after three days from the ice. That's the first man, was the grandfather of Odin, who came into the world. Um. After this kind of this uh, the 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 this primeval cow basically was kind of, brought, I suppose the gods and man into existence, likewise, but you have these kind of ideas, these sacred rivers of, of milk that are, are expressed sometimes in flowing waters that's expressed in Indo-European tradition as well, and that there's this kind of connection to, I suppose, the imagery that's kind of inspiration and wisdom and a sort of cosmic knowledge, basically, that's mm. attached to this divine um, cow. But again, that stretches from Bowen, Bovinda, all the way across to... Uh, the indo-european tradition as well and through egypt and in greece in in Helios, you had he had his um seven flocks of cattle and in in um in the odyssey odysseus and his men wind up on, on this island uh what's it called Ternissia. it's modern day sicily okay. and it's despite odysseus's best advice his men find these kind of sacred cattle and sacrifice them all to the gods as you do because they're they're stuck on this island okay. uh, where there's a storm or whatever they sacrifice these cattle um, and then the gods basically pour great wrath upon them but the cattle kind of come back to life on the spit the skins start kind of wobbling around and you can hear the cattle calling and the bones are all kind of jumping around and all sorts uh, and then they try to escape the island and i think zeus promptly kills them all except Odysseus. He sails off to Calypso's island, and Fascinating. he's kept there for seven years. But you have these these figures of, of kind of cattle, as these divine figures. But in the in the Egyptian, in the Indo-European, and in the Irish sense, you have this kind of divine mother figure, uh, who's connected with abundance and fertility, and kind of and life giving waters in the sense of milk, but figuratively, then, figuratively of of, kind of of water and rivers and so on. And um, and that's kind of translates even into into Christian tradition as well. With the likes of Saint Bridget, it has a huge kind of.
1: Patron saint of cattle, isn't she? Yeah, he?
0: she and she and she has this kind of idea of cattle attached to her, but also of assisting women in childbirth or protecting women, pregnant women in particular, and also cattle and assisting cattle and calving and so on. That she would protect. She was this kind of figure who would protect. And her we... name means uh, exalted one, breed. But she's a triplication. There's an old deity, the Dagda, the father mm-hmm. god of the Tuatha Danann, and he had three daughters, Brigid, Brigid, and Brigid, and their feast was Imulk or, or meaning uh, Imbolc, in the in the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of this idea of feasting and 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 kind of, um, or the the festival attached to fertility and childbirth and so on that manifests on the first of February, mm. and that later became attached with the woman who Christianized her tribe in in Louth and took the name exalted one took the name Bridget and took over the pre Christian cult, which now becomes this Christianized, um, kind of cult to the same deity really, but mm. it's it's now this kind of Christian tradition that on the first of February, up and in the country, there are still observations and prayers, many prayers. And for couples wishing to conceive the difficulty conceiving to visit um, one of Bridget's Wells and mm. so on and so forth that but you have these kind of overlapping motifs I suppose from from the earliest phase that are of the profound and kind of strange uh, imagery really stretching from again from from India to mm. but Ireland.
1: being going from as you said pagan to the Christian that's been i suppose permitted by the the Catholic Church.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing the thing, like this is, like, with with the church and with these kind of practices, it was like they were just absorbed and they were just transmitted. And then with the collapse of the Roman Empire as well, there was a huge kind of flourishing of, um, I suppose, very apocryphal and strange, in, in the eyes of the kind of doctrinal or formal church practices, really, where, you know, paganism peeps out from behind Catholicism. Catholic, Catholic, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you, I mean, even when you visit holy wells nowadays and you have the kind of, you know, you could have a practice, really, that would be looked down upon by the formal church as being kind of superstitious, um, uh, well, you know, nonsense, nonsense. basically. Yeah. But actually, in the in the kind of common practice of things, it's like, great, here's another deity to add to our our, our kind of our list or whatever. And um, so there's the, these kind of, I suppose, there's a synthesis of these traditions. And, and in many ways, those living waters of paganism are seen to kind of run through in a modern context and can be found in some of the apocryphal traditions that are manifest today as the kind of Christianized saints. Yeah. Um, but have little to do, in a sense, really, with the doctrinal um, kind of teachings or canonical teachings of, of the church per se. Those things I find particularly interesting.
1: It, again, there's so much. I hope so. everyone's sitting with mouth agape, being like, God, I underestimated <laughs> the cow.
0: I can hear um, what are those things that in in Western movies when they come into an abandoned town and the little, that oh, weird little bush yes. that blows across the road? Oh, I, what I are they called again?
1: The word has escaped me now. Anyway, well, I hope that they're not rolling, rolling as we around. Speak. <laughs> I can't hear them. <laughs> but um, I think what really struck me there, in terms of and um, the imagery that you were discussing, in the the fertility and the abundance that was associated with these animals, and it's the importance of it to society. Mm. It makes complete sense to me that the that. It, to me, it makes complete sense that they would be very attractive and important, not only to humans, but also to their counterparts in the other world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and indeed. And this might be a Absolutely. nice
1: segue into fairy mythology, because we've seen that cows, they are currency, barter and tribute, as mm. we said. Wars and battles and feuds were waged over them. They were a dowry for the bride. They were a standard of social values. Mm. But also, they were very attractive to our fairy counterparts. Mm and we see fairy mythology linked hugely to cow and cattle lore in the archives here particularly yeah, yeah. um at, i suppose linked mostly with two periods of time when we have the quarter days and when we have such as may day particularly but also at the calving season those two times are associated with a certain vulnerability i suppose liminal kind of phases yeah. where everything's
0: a bit in between yeah
1: where the cattle and this wealth that they represent to um, society and to the farmer when they're most at at risk of being stolen away either the cow themselves physically mm. or the the products that they issue forth
0: mm. Mm. it's um. I mean the idea even was that in many cases the fairies were described as having their own cattle they'd have their own um, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say hordes of cattle what's the credit herds, herds. <laughs> <laughs> their own uh, their own warring hordes of cattle they had their own herds of cattle that they'd bring to the fair or they would attack and injure the cattle of um of kind of mere mortals whatever the idea often that a cow if, if it was suddenly kind of um weak or sick or suffering some ailment that was kind of unclear that it was elf shot was the, was the quote and that you'd often find if 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 you found cracks in a cow's hide it was the indication that it had been elf shot of these invisible darts that would sap all the kind of the life force and energy from it and that that cow would would be would be no good essentially. There's also even I mean, people could be elf shot. I was reading an account in the manuscripts in here about a man who on his deathbed, a giant needle starts pushing out of his leg and it's revealed like, oh, that's why he's been elf shot and now now he's dead. But there's this huge kind of hitherto invisible needle in his body and, and it starts to remove itself as as he's dying, whatever. It's a bit grim. But um but cattle were often I suppose at a certain risk and then there was a practice of kind of averting the power of the fairies mm-hmm. with things like it was common to tie um, a red ribbon, often to to cattle, to protect them, and that they they because the, the fairies had a great aversion to the color red because mm-hmm. they had no blood. There's a kind of medieval Christianized theological interpretation of them that they were cast out from heaven by God because they rebelled with Lucifer, and that they kind of now were in this liminal state, wandering the earth, but they didn't have a drop of blood, so they could they had no prospect of salvation. They couldn't get past the pearly gates, basically, because you need blood to get in, yeah. which is interesting. But um, but the the idea that they would kind of steal cattle away or. Um, that they had their own cattle were common, or that they'd visit fairs and they'd sell their cows, and then you'd get home and realize that you don't actually the cows are gone. And when you go and put your hand in your pocket to take out the money, it's just leaves or whatever. You've you basically you've been done in by, by these kind of full of mischief. Full of mischief, yeah. Um, I have a piece here. This is fairy cattle at fair at, at a fair a, a recording here, and um, it's quite difficult to understand this man. Basically, he's describing uh, a man going to the fair who looks behind him and sees a lot of these kind of fairy cattle marching behind him and he throws holy water back over his shoulder and when he looks back they've all disappeared, they're all kind of gone, basically.
3: That could have been taken for a fair, that said, the fairies have fairs, I hear. Tell me about that. I do. Tell me a bit more about that, Martin, would you? Well, I heard a friend of my own that that he was going to a fair. And that there was drove of cattle coming after him, all on the road. And he was a man who used to carry his supper of water in his pocket hours. And there was closing around him. He got the honey water button, threw him back, the supper across his shoulder, and they all vanished. No more of No more of the of cattle came after if that man hadn't got holy water, would the fairies bring the cattle all the way to the fair? Well, that's what I couldn't tell you. No, them them might have their own, draw; They mightn't take anything within that time. Mm. They could have their own supply for the fair.
0: Did you hear of fairy cattle being bought?
3: Well, I never heard fair. fairy cattle being bought, but, but uh, unless you know, they had their own buyers, you see, I mm. think like that, certain days but we don't know whether they were bought by buyers or not, country buyers or uh, town buyers rather. But it would be supposed that they used to be in the road of fair mornings, and that they would have drove the cattle. Whether they used to buy from or not the road, I don't know. Do
1: you know what it struck me there about the fairs, one of the things I read was, and this ties in with May Day I suppose particularly and the loss of profit and we actually have a podcast on Mm. the loss of profit which basically means on May Day people were worried that if they if someone overlooked the cattle Mm. or um, conducted a curse or a spell that they would lose the value of the milk for the year that they would no longer be able to um get milk from the cow or make butter or, or cream or make butter from the milk or, from the yeah. milk and all these associations so when we say profit stealing we we mean that um mm. ability to take the wealth from the farmer but one of the things that struck me about the fair quote that um you had there was in relation to milk profit you were never meant to when you took a cow to the fair mm. you were never meant to give the buyer the rope that you had used to mm. bring the cow because again any kind of material culture that comes from you or your farm, and it is given to another. It could be used against you to take away. Yeah. The wealth. This is of the this milk. is the
0: thing I I'm just obsessed with these this kind of mode of thinking of the so-called kind of emotional reasoning and symbolic reasoning and and sympathetic magic and so on. Mm-hmm. There was another one whereby, in the same way as you describe, having visited the fair, uh, someone might sell you a cow. But as the deal was being done, they take they put their hand on its hindquarters and just nick the hair out of it. So some of some of the hair from its hide, they just pull it out as though symbolizing that's the mm. uh, this is the luck from the cow yeah. you can take the cow or whatever but i've taken the look you haven't taken the idea of kind of the good fortune hasn't been sold the 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 itself has but you take something from it i mean even the idea in in selling more so i think with horses in in the contemporary period of cattle of luck money when you buy a horse True. that you give x amount of money back to the individual mm. that oh that, that's still kind of common practice but those sorts of things again they always relate to it stands in direct opposition, really, to, to the conception of, of superstitions, so-called, which isn't a kind of neutral term, really, but we, we know what we mean when we describe that, that these are kind of unnecessary and, and additional kind of silly little things. But they always relate to pertinent concerns, mm-hmm. economic concerns, or um, the family unit, or the well-being of the individual, or the group, or the tribe, or the, the whatever, the, you know, the, the community and they always relate to either kind of an idea of banishing misfortune and to to invoke good luck basically mm. and you see that with 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 these kind of things at, at the at the fairs as well and you mentioned the idea of overlooking a cow yes or cows being blinked or the evil eye where somebody kind of praises a, a, a beast say without sometimes even without invoking the name of god or with enmity and bitterness in their heart mm. i mean you can do that to a person as well I and mean, it's an interesting idea the, the evil eye in the sense that if somebody is engaged in some labor and you praise them for it but you have bitterness in your heart that you, you'll you put the evil eye on them and they'll have no good fortune fr- from their from their labors, from their work because of this heart of bitterness and enmity and kind of the, the lie that's been expressed where you say, oh, well done whereas actually you're oh. jealous or envious about it or whatever, a thing to be avoided. Another piece here, this is, th- that last piece there was collected from Martin Reedy, a farmer in County Clare and it was collected by the great Tom Munley, the late great Tom Munley, the collector for the, the, the folklore collection here. Um, and in this instance, Tom Munley is talking to the, the lovely uh, singer from, from Miltown Albay, Tom Millennon, and uh, he literally went through the handbook with him. You can turn, your, turn in the pages of the handbook of Irish wow. folklore with Tom, just asking him everything about cattle. There's, there's a I have a tape here of it, but this is a, a section on the evil eye in particular.
3: Back
1: at the fish rows again, Tom, it uh what would be the effect of somebody, you know, putting the evil lawyer putting bad luck on uh on the cattle of any description?
4: Well of course uh, we're talking about it. The evil lawyer was you don't Whatever that have to say Uh things like that, of course. Your cows are start to bark, and you say, well, someone has harm done to me, or something like that. That was in the old days. They never looked into that a dog could bring in the disease into the farm, to you. That tells us now that a cow never need throw away her calf, and still she'd be a, a carrier of the disease, you see. But I can't know how could she. But these smart people, of course, know. Said that she would.
0: That's the evil eye—the idea of overlooking, mm-hmm. and kind of bringing, well, disasters basically and bad luck and so on.
1: There's so much to be concerned about, not only from humans but the fairies.
0: Well, that's the thing. You See, I was—I was thinking of this in the context of like, oh, the supernatural. And then I was walking, I need walking to the restaurant the other day, thinking about the podcast and thinking, no, you need—I need to kind of realign in my own head when you say the supernatural. In, in tradition it's not as though the other world was regarded necessarily perhaps as the supernatural it was regarded as almost within the bounds of the natural mm. world it's just a that parallel it's just course. a parallel yeah, yeah as opposed to something that exceeds the natural world it's just bound up as a fundamental part but an unseen kind of portion of that which is natural mm. almost you know what i mean perhaps it's just a kind of semantic thing but it's just something i was struck by the other day but but there's reference to the physical, if to navigate the world, with reference to the physical and the metaphysical in everything that you do. And there's always this kind of ritualistic symbolic element to, to uh, practices that, that are that are where, where there's a kind of double meaning to things, where a tool can be used in a practical sense, but it could also be used in a ritualistic sense mm-hmm. to bring about some other kind of form of meaning or whatever. I mean, even the idea then of, of making offering, of making offering of the first of something was common as well. Spilling the first milk from a cow for the fairy mm-hmm. so that they'd be satiated and that they'd be kind of contented and they wouldn't steal your, your milk away. Basically.
1: And there's apparently one of the bits I read that there's a scientific basis for this that farmers now see that there's a certain amount of bacteria in the first... um, mm-hmm. What would you call the first... um, bee stings, I suppose, or mm. kind of these first drops, that it's better to actually throw them away and not consume them. So you, so you see both the although we can kind of call them pishrogs, that maybe now in time that they've seen that there's some basis to perhaps, it.
0: Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. I've generally tended to, I remember teaching students in classes and I'd ask them, when getting them to think about symbolic reasoning, i give them an, an instance of like, why would this be the case? Like, mm. why should a pregnant woman not visit a wake? Yeah. Why is that a custom? And they'd often try and come back with a kind of rationalist or reasonable approach, okay. um, as in maybe it'll cause some sort of stress thing in mm. her or she'll lose the child or something like that. Mm. But I, generally i don't know i could be wrong my inclination was to just focus on the symbolic meaning of the thing and um, as though
1: as would been a gesture of goodwill to the good to, people to,
0: yeah for example if you're if you're you know filling your pipe you should throw some tobacco on the ground for mm. the dead or um when when um individuals were making putzine or making as it'd be called moonshine in america or whatever that distilling alcohol illegally that the first drops had to be poured on the ground for the fairies that kind of motif of kind of giving the first thing away for the dead or to the other world is that mm. kind of symbolic offering so that the rest of your labors come to good fruition to appease the, them to it's appease them reputation. yeah 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 but i mean there might be that kind of formal you know reasonable bit to it but for me the symbolic content is more
1: that's why we're yin and yang johnny it must
0: be that it must be the case yes exactly yeah <laughs> i'll
1: be the rationalist and you can be the dreamer
0: perfect done agreed <laughs> when you were
1: speaking earlier johnny about the red ribbon there are actually a number of protections that people would have believed in for i suppose warding off ill fortune mm. and the bad intentions of the fairies or the good people um, at May Day and on particularly on calving days as well. So you've got the ribbon in the tail, the red ribbon, you've got roan branches, you've got mm. the nails, which again is kind of this association with iron being put in the milk bucket for the first milking. Mm. You've got flowers on May Day, which we would have covered earlier. You've got then the more Christianized protection so you've got St Bridget's Cross being hung in buyers and I've seen that in my yeah, own time yeah. because we would have that at home you've got holy water being um I suppose sprinkled on the calves and the cows at certain times of the year as well as being kept in the buyer you've got
0: you've kept cattle at home
1: you did indeed yes 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 true. I forgot about this true. entire thing so I'm, I'm all about my yeah, St Bridget's yeah, Crosses yeah. oh indeed and then you've got also and I asked my family about this and they remember doing this where when you'd finish milking you'd put the sign of the cross on the hind quarter of the cow from the the, the foam milk. of the milk oh, yeah yeah, as yeah. Um, now they couldn't say that they that did this for a specific reason um or what the symbolism of it was but they do remember doing it in their mm. time and they're they're only in their 60s now mm. so it's relatively recently mm-hmm. that it's survived in rural ireland yeah, yeah. so it's well bear those in mind if you have any cattle at home folks well
0: the symbolic approach is always correct it's true there's um there is a piece here which I should play, so well. this is again from Tom Lennon and just the question you mentioned the rowan bush and things with mm-hmm. the white thorn and the black thorn and ways of protecting um but the, the afterbirth when a cow calved that it was used and sometimes it was um used to feed animals or it was or it was boiled and would, the water would have a cure in it and so on. But this is Tom Lennon describing um the afterbirth from the calve and what it was what use it was put to, basically.
3: Like what would you do?
4: with the afterbirth? Well, with the afterbirth, there was a lot of, <clears throat> as we all said before, Tom, picture business, that was the afterbirth. Some people had buried, if I, no, for my own part of it, I take the afterbirth and bury it the way dogs and anything wouldn't be dragging it around. But a lot of people used fire it up in a white-torn bush or something, and more people used to boil the afterbirth and keep the water of that for some cures Whatever that, they, they knew about it. I often heard my, the old people talking about that, but as for my part of it, I take the afterbirth after a cow and buried deep down the way a dog wouldn't be dragging it or bringing it around the country.
0: Why would they hang it in
4: the white-torn bush? Well, I couldn't tell you that, Tom. Mm-hmm. They must know something or they had
3: and the cure that was in the boiled water, what
4: was the cure for it? For, for everything, but in the the cattle line business, you know. You got a cow sick and take it to drop of this water off the afterbirth. Maybe for the, they'd have to say words or something along with that sort of picture they had. <laughs> it was bound to cure that base that was sick again. They'd keep it in bottles there. and There was a lot of that stuff. and. and well, before my time is in it.
0: So that's Tom then describing the cures that were used for cattle, for other sick cattle. He also had it even with them, um, again, with St. Bridget, the patrons of cattle and, and fertility and pregnant women and calving and so on. The Brat Bride, the mm. the kind of cloak or cloth that was left out by women overnight on the evening before the 1st of February and then collected again before sunrise mm. of that day. And that was then imbued with a special power that would guarantee safe childbirth or for cows to calve safely as well. That so that was kept, but these kind of the questions of curing and, and curing ailments was um, again it's like you had these these customs that are kind of symbolic, but they relate to very practical and immediate concerns basically. Because it's um, before
1: veterinary science, we have to remember so people had to work with what they had. What well, the they ritual, had, yeah, and and, 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 and
0: use with recourse to symbolic kind of and ritual action in order to cause effect and change in or outcome in, in certain circumstances. The the other kind of common. Item of sympathetic magic that we see is nine the beast or ruler the beast. This is one that you were trying as well. You were saying I you couldn't get the nut. I spent
1: a whole. I think I may have worked two hours on this because we have a number of descriptions um in the school's collection where the children have actually very helpfully added illustrations as to how to create this. And basically, if a cow was ill, would say. Um, worms or a twisted um intestine. That was whatever, yeah. Exactly. You represent that in a string whereby you would add t- knots to it and then in a trick of construction by pulling the two ends it would come apart, thus by way of sympathetic magic, releasing the, the knot mm. in, in the cow. But I spent many I, I cows don't think like, oh, I think they all died, Johnny. Yeah. Because but what's interesting, although it didn't work for me, even though I was following the instructions to the word my aunt who also and she is convinced that she can do most things so she just I drove her nuts when she couldn't get it but we read one of the articles online which spoke about farmers being reluctant to actually pass on this information about how to create it hmm. because they didn't want to diminish its um, abilities, I, mm-hmm. sp- I suppose. And so part of me wonders whether the children, when they were collecting it as part of the school's collection, they whether they were sabotaged by the farmers hmm. not giving them the exact methods. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: I like that. I'm curious. Well, you'll be glad to know that Tom is of the opinion that if you do this over a cow, as you were doing, uh, and well, do not over wrong, a wrong, you will kill them that's what he says so there are probably cattle lying dead in fields all over Guidoor now on the sides of hills because you were casually trying to undo this knot Clare That's correct, I only apologised uh, to the local farmers this is um, this is Tom Lennon again talking to Tom Munley where Tom just kind of collected all this material on from, from cattle but he's talking about Roher or snine the Beisht this is the knot
4: there's anything that come in the cap, you know if there's anything in the bowls or anything like that it was called the Roher and you get a simple old cure that in the olden times, again, a couple of spoons of soda for that, or the Roher Pesh knot used to be put up for him. You put it up this knot, I think six times you'd do it. And if you put it up wrong, the chap was going to die, the made out. If you left the knot in the Yeah, if, you, if the knot was put up wrong. But if you put up the knot right, the Roher Pesh knot right for him, You'll bring him out of the pain, but I often and often put up the nut Tom. But I can't see in the world what good would it do, but to draw that nut
0: along.
1: I remember you showed me how
0: to do it before long. Hmm. Sorry, it was the best.
1: Now that I think of it, I did see fewer calves
0: on the way back to Dublin. I'm not surprised. Probably, if you look at the the CSO statistics <laughs> office, like a strange dip in the amount of calves, a kind of a strange blighted plague there, some sort of strange Australian flu. Christmas that, 2017. That wiped out all the calves there, but it's particularly around the Guyathuk from Donegal, just a sudden, strange, unaccounted for dip because somebody was messing with sympathetic magic. No, that's. Well, there you are.
1: I will take full responsibility that's for that that's
0: sure, Um and there was also the idea of singing to cattle did you ever hear that to get them to, to yes
1: that it increases the milk yield increases
0: the yield yeah that, that you would sing to them um, which is a, again a particularly interesting idea um, and actually will kind of lead us in towards the end of this particular podcast in that there's a song about this
1: this is Colleen Das
0: Crute in the Mole, the mole. Oh. which is a song that has quite evil connotations because the, there's the story about the devil who sang this song when the priest is called to a sick call, did you ever hear this one? The, 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 the priest gets a call to go out to a house late at night, there's a sick call, a man is on his deathbed, he needs rites of extra or whatever and he needs kind of the last rites to be given to him and the priest sets off on the horse galloping away through the night and as he's traversing in his way he hears his most beautiful singing that he's ever heard in his life and he stops the horse, gets off the horse and he wanders into a field, he's listened to this beautiful woman singing and the voice gets a little kind of quieter and goes away so he walks further into the field until it gets louder again it gets quieter again and he keeps walking into the field trying to find it until eventually he rounds a corner and is kind of standing there by a wall it's this enormous black dog singing with this beautiful woman's voice and he realises it's the devil has taken this form and has projected the sound to waylay him meanwhile this oh. man is dying and hasn't received these last rites in the house and so the devil is trying to take this man's soul and so he gets in the horse and manages to, to to get there in the end, but on a, the the song that the devil was singing was "Colleen Das in the Mo. Oh, the lovely uh, milking, the lovely milkmaid, and and so there was a taboo against singing it. Pe- I was just about to say that
1: was what was ringing bells in my head that that people wouldn't sing it.
0: People wouldn't sing it, no, because it had an association with the evil one, and so there's a piece which we'll leave you with. From the archive, was it? treat from the archive. I always feel that song. you
1: choose those songs that have ill omens attached to them, Johnny. No and
0: <laughs> well, it was it was a cattle-related. Um, well, it's a good story. Well, that's true. That's it, is true. Bit, it is a bit dark. So if we're it not
1: here in February.
0: Yeah, between uh, kind of between between uh, between my sympathetic magic and your chosen <laughs> and, and uh, playing songs related that are associated with the evil one. Well, we should leave you on that merry note, I That's suppose. True.
1: And 2018 started so well.
0: It has, it <laughs> has, yes. We shall bid you farewell, and we'll catch you uh, next month. Hopefully.
2: We'll Take care, s- folks. <laughs> Nagh mwad nsh mpare kranjol O bora yass kashkim shejju Sīg hirakar rūms srāt O srīn ar yass sūgru Le kalinjas jass Namo. O мо. Ой, люме, открились глянтань, є свій храня рокойма. Єс O ta kalin gonday nga lhe Is ta kalin gonday uyo Is ta kalin benggele swale Na ak wak ishe O na hok chikrin var maru I am a man whos